Index investing or passive investing has grown more popular with investors. Even Warren Buffett touts the benefits of owning an entire index like the S&P 500 over the long term. Check out BMO's S&P 500 Index ETF, ticker ZSP, the largest ETF in Canada that tracks this well-recognized and popular index. ZSP provides exposure to the returns of the market cap weighted S&P 500 Index at a low cost with a management fee of just 0.08%. This broad market ETF makes for an efficient building block in a portfolio, saving you time and effort. Investing in a broad basket of stocks tracking the whole market also provides diversification and mitigates single stock risk and lower overall volatility. Commissions, management fees, and expenses all may be associated with investments in exchange-traded funds. Please read the ETF facts or prospectus of the BMO ETFs before investing. Before we get started, I just want to remind everyone that this information discussed today is not intended to be or construed as investment advice. Please consult a professional advisor before putting a loony in any of these financial markets. The dirty secret is that no one's ever going to get paid back or have the shortest memories when it comes to investment. We just got to get Keith into Bitcoin. Hey, there's a bubble. Welcome back to Looney Hour episode 108. As always, joined by the three amigos, we've got Rich Diaz of PGM Global, Keith Dicker of Ice Cap Asset Management. Welcome back to the show, gentlemen. Hello, hello, Rick, hello. what's going on, buddy? How, I always go first. How come you're jumping over to Rich? Well, he's lion's guy's breathing on his shoulder. I know. <laughs> <laughs> what do you got, Rich? Come on, spill the beans. Oh, nothing. Nothing. I actually have a really good story. I went on a date last night, um, and I went... Um, met Louder. Louder. I met on a date last night and I met a girl. Um, she was great. We had a really a lovely date and we agreed to meet each other again. And then she gave me her phone number. And then I think I wrote it wrong in my phone. <laughs> so I actually don't know this girl's phone number. I don't know how to get in touch with her. Did you write it so, wrong or did she give you the wrong number? Um, I think I wrote it wrong because we had a great date. It was lovely. So, where, did, where did you meet? Where did you guys go? Uh, we went to just like a local pub, which is a great um, spot called Hurley's. Um, really, really good spot if you know it. Oh yeah, I was supposed to give a shout out to a, um, to a restaurant that I'm supposed to, but I forgot the name of the restaurant that I went to. But anyway, Keith, I'm all over the place. You, you, save me, please. <laughs> so I guess the theme, like last week, I think the theme was that the shitter's full. The, the theme this week is Rich is forgetting everything. You can't remember her name. You can't remember the shout out. The, the name of the pub. That's good though, Rich. Uh, well done. How are you going to reconnect you. then? How are you going to like find this person? Message in a well, bottle. Yeah, message in a bottle. No, no, I'm gonna like jump back onto the onto the apps and, and see if she's she forgive me for forgetting her number, but we'll see. Stay tuned. Start. Twitter. The Twitter <laughs> app, the X. Yeah. You find her on Twitter? No, no, I don't think so. I don't think she's on that. It's only like weirdos who are on Twitter now, I think. Weirdos and propagandists. <laughs> That's why I'm on there, baby. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I I fit in. <laughs> <laughs> We, so uh, we had a big week going this week. We've had a lot of, you know, central bank stuff came out. Canada came out with information. So I got a bit of, you know, skipping my step this week. Because, you know, we talk about the path where everything is going economically. And it, it seems like we continue to go down that path. So uh, we'll, I'm sure we'll jump a bit more into it today. Yeah. Yeah. We've got like a long lineup of of things here. So we've got... Housing data that just came out for October. Walk you through that. Sort of what we're seeing. Uh, we got some some 
hot button things going on around the carbon tax here in Canada, consumer confidence numbers, the Fed, the Bank of England. Um, it's been a, it's been a pretty busy week here. So uh, but wanted to frame it up here before we really jump into the show. Keith is reminding me uh, that we need to promote the, the live event in Toronto on November the 30th. So again, we've had people that listen to the show and then they'll still email us being like, how do I get tickets? The tickets are in the show notes. Okay. So if you're on Spotify or Apple on YouTube, you just click on the description, click the podcast. There's going to be a link that's going to say link to tickets. Just click that, check it out. We'll see you on November 30th. Um, but let's oh, get yeah. into this. And, and can we say that we're going to have a special musical guest, which is going to be really fun, actually. Right. We so. are going to have a musical guest. It's it's it, it'll it'll blow your socks off. So that's right. It's going to be and, fun. I, actually, the I think the music is going to be uh, great. Uh, but with the tickets, though, if you're not able to find it in the link, you can just email one of us as well. And uh, we'll send that along to you. After but, I just uh, told people not to email us. Thank you. <laughs> you no, my DMs, my DMs are open. You can message me on Twitter. There you go. How about that? Don't message was... Steve. Steve's busy. Message me and keep. Really, just sending over. everybody all over the place. Anyways, there's a link in the show notes. But um, we'll dive into this week's episode. We got some, you know, everyone's kind of watching here with bated breath on the Canadian housing market, waiting to see how things are going to shape up. So we we've got some of the the statistics coming out here for Vancouver and Toronto, of course, the two largest you know housing markets in Canada. Um, so in Vancouver. Home sales were abysmal, um, you know, just over 1,900 home sales. The lowest basically since uh, you'd have to go back to like 2008, 2009. And then last year, we we're like a couple percentage points above that. So horrible, horrible numbers there. Uh, in, in the GTA, it's much of the same story. Um, so sub 5,000 home sales in the GTA over the past. So over the past 20 years, this has only happened two other times. Um, it was basically during the COVID outbreak and the the GFC, the global financial crisis. So just to give you kind of an, an idea, we've got home sale activity kind of running more or less around crisis type of levels. And well, we, we're, we're in a crisis. <laughs> we are in a technical recession now. Yeah, yeah but it's not a crisis in terms of, you know, financial markets are getting, you know, knocked around. With dramatic no, movements, right? But no, it we're is in a, a housing crisis. crisis. We're in a housing crisis. And, and what's the peak to trough decline in, in Toronto house prices? Oh, Roughly, God. Steve? I, I mean, it it dropped, then bounced back, and now it's dropping again. So, I I mean, I, t to me, it feels safe to say that you're down 10 to 15% from the peak. Yeah. But then, you know, there's like other areas, these suburban markets that are highly levered, um, <clears throat> Brampton, that, um, you know, are down 20 plus percent. So but there's more. It's worse than that, though. In some cases, I mean, I keep seeing on there's a guy on Twitter. I forget his name is, but he always puts these uh, pictures of before and afters, right? With the with the MLS listing and the numbers. Is that are, is that yeah? Bogus? Those are kind of finding like extreme examples. It's like I think at the end of the day, you kind of have to do look at the index and say, okay, what's what's the index showing you? Because like you can, of course, you can always point out the odd sale where some guy panicked and undersold and grossly overpaid at the top. Like it's right. You know, okay. That's like people talking about their uh, their all star stock picks all the time. They're always <laughs> amazing. You know, the, the bottom and the top, and you know everything else. You just forget. Yeah. So, well, I mean, yeah. That, but we are in a uh, we are in a technical recession now. Statscan, of course, came out with a preliminary estimate for September GDP 
Um, and so that was flat. So the, the official reading for Q3 um, is, is a negative, negative print. So back-to-back quarters of negative GDP in Canada. So it's fine. It's fine. I love that meme. You know, the meme with the dog in the house and he's drinking the coffee and there's all the flames everywhere and it's a little bubble and it says it's fine. That's, I feel like that's what <laughs> Canada. But, but, you know, because we've been talking say. about it and this has been our expectation, you know, and we, we've, you know, but to get to a more serious decline, you have to hit the decline first. You know, you just don't go from you're growing to, you know, you know, it just happens, you know, very suddenly. So that trend has not changed, everyone. And today, hey, we haven't said this for a long time, but today's Thursday. We record on Thursdays and we push it out on Fridays. But ever since the Fed meeting uh, yesterday, you know, financial markets have been what we call risk on. So, you know, it's been green everywhere and the dollar is mullered, you know, for a change that's happening. But I think we know we, we need to connect all of this together because one one conversation that um i have um it's it's too frequently sometimes with uh you know investors across the country in that you know they're they're invested a very heavily invested in bank stocks and and the bond market or preferred shares and they've already started experience a slowdown in, in household income for whatever reason and you know they're getting it's harder to pay the mortgage because they all been on variable rate, and you know their investment portfolios are down, you know ten fifteen percent over the last couple of years. So this you see you used the word crisis there a few minutes ago right into the housing market. I think people do appreciate everything is linked together here. You know it's you follow the ball, bing bing bing, and the next thing we have to see now maybe we do get a soft landing, Rich. Maybe we think becomes nice and as, as bland as the, the the wall behind you there but um and that's fine maybe we, we go up what do you think creating visual content is an essential part of what i do but the creative process hasn't always been easy that is until we discovered canva Hour uses canva to create social media images and marketing materials for our live events designing custom artwork using canva is so easy even the boomer can do it canva for teams is a design platform that makes it easy for anyone to create stunning content in any format from social media posts to videos, presentations, and websites. Ever since I've found Canva for Teams, it's been easy to collaborate and design with the team, which makes the whole process so much more creative and fun. We personally love using Canva templates. Canva has templates designed specifically for all social media platforms, which saves us a ton of time and money. Design and collaborate with Canva for Teams. Right now, you can get a free 45-day extended trial when you go to canva.me slash loonyhour. That's canva.me slash loonyhour for a free 45-day extended trial. Canva.me slash loonyhour. That's not going to happen. I think that we should be, one thing we should reiterate is the per capita GDP numbers. So if we're flat basically on on a nom, on a real real on a real basis um, and probably slightly up in nominal terms, those that real GDP number is going to continue to contract. So I, I mean, remember, we're basically below the 2018-19 peak. So this 18, is basically, yeah. yeah, I can't remember if it's Q4 of 2018. Anyways, whatever. So it's it, it's a long time now. It's what, five years? I can do that math pretty well. It's five years basically where we're all either getting poorer or less well off. And now it's starting to contract in real terms. I mean, like, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. I was, I'll assume the next quarter will be a, a full-on contraction. 
Uh, but on a per capita basis, I mean, it's just an in scathing indictment on our economy. And I think just stepping back a second, I think and linking it to the housing, this is what you have. This is what happens when you have a housing bubble burst. I think it's like it's whether it's Ireland, Spain, whether it's, um, you know, in the U.S., when you have that kind of money flow into, in my view, a non-productive asset, sorry, <laughs> Steve, when you have um, ownership transfer costs be 2 3% of GDP, when you have a residential gross fixed capital formation hit almost 10%, I think it was 11% at the peak, just to remember to compare it to Ireland and Spain, we got into 12s and whatever in the US, I think it was eight or nine. But when you have that deflate and people basically start stop allocating to that um, and you have banks starting to curtail their credit growth there's just always pain so i don't think canada's going to be any different keith i, don't know I think just to um it up. yeah just to expand on the housing side of it you know i kind of i know i kind of just like you know briefly touched on sales figures and people like well what does that really mean like you know what's what's actually happening in the housing market i can just tell you like anecdotally what we're seeing is basically um a lot of stuff's just not selling sitting quiet very little showings um yeah, you know, sure. The odd good house is moving ready. That's still selling it at a fairly good price, but there's a lot of stuff that's just like going no bid. Um, and of course that doesn't show up in like your price index or your median sales price or, and so, you know, it doesn't necessarily show up in the data. And so, but I think what you're seeing right now is a, is a market that really has very little liquidity right now. Like if you actually want to sell, like you got to hammer your price. Um, and, and again, most sellers are obviously are not prepared to do that. Um, is that really happening in in Vancouver now? So, like, if you in a nice, yeah, desired it, neighborhood, you got to it's a lower it's your... a tough it's a tough market. And again, like I said, if you've got a move in ready entry level house, yeah, it's still it you're gonna still sell it relatively quickly and and at, at a reasonable price um, because the, those are still just so in demand. But in general, there's a lot there's there's large po pockets of the market that I would say are are not performing well at all. Steve, um, you have relationships with brokers, right? So, like, what is their attitude? Like, are they tightening the lending standards as well, or is it is the interest rate doing all the work for them, or is it that people? I mean, we haven't really had job losses, which is why I would be hesitant to call this a technical recession. Um, you know, employment is relatively strong in Canada still; wage growth is okay, etc. Um, but is is it the tightening of the lending standards from the bank side, or is it the interest rates that make it unaffordable? Yeah, I mean, you can still get a mortgage. Like, it's not like banks, like, oh, we're not going to lend you money. It's just like, you know, banks are still, I think, happy to extend credit. The problem is, is you got to pass a stress test at 8%, which just bumps down people's ability to, to what they can borrow. And I think people just aren't, um, I think the bigger driver is like, you know, we're seeing people coming up with larger down payments um, to sort of offset the, the cost of the mortgage. But the biggest thing is there's not there's no urgency, right? If people are like, well, you know, if if the rate new rate is six percent and this is all I can afford and and this is really unaffordable, um, I'm gonna wait for prices to come down. And so people are just you know people are just happy to take their time. There's no sense of urgency, and so that's kind of what we're seeing. I mean, I can tell you like, I still think there's you know a decent amount of dominoes that that could fall. I mean, I know. Again, I'm not getting into specific names, but I, I think there's there's a few you know developers and stuff in the in town here that are in in tough and and they are um, starting to try to liquidate sites and starting having issues paying some trades and like you can see it it's happening. I mean, if you think about it, 
we've only really been raising rates. For, it hasn't even been two years. So if you look at it, let's say you're a highly levered real estate developer. Um, you know, you're typically looking at floating rates or very short-term debt. Like you can kind of, you can kind of stomach it, right? Like you can stomach rising rates for 12 months, 15 months, 18 months, but like, it's kind of like, it just like the debt and the, and the, and the interest rates, they just start compounding. And at some point you're just like, this isn't working anymore. And, 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 and it comes to a head. So I think we're kind of like, it still feels like you have to put things into context that really rates, like they stopped going up. What the bank of Canada's last hike was in what July. Yeah. So it's like, it's like, it really hasn't been that long in this rising rate environment. So I think that the bodies are starting to kind of stack up, but like those aren't going to come public for, for many, many months. Can I ask one more question? Sorry, Keith, before we jump in or just like, there's some pushback on the idea that they're sorry, switching gears, but still about the housing market. There's some push pushback on the idea that there isn't enough housing. So people say, oh, it's not about the housing supply or, you know, there aren't enough houses or whatever it is. Um, but it's really about investor um, and investor demand and the fact that investors bought a lot of these homes and bought a lot of the rental units, et cetera, et cetera. It, does that make sense to you as a... I like a theory or a hypothesis of why house prices are so unaffordable and that there's, there's just no supply or there's no access to that or no inventory, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a good point. Like, I think you've brought up like obviously a very hot button topic, but it is important because I think there's a lot of like myths and I don't think there's like a, I don't think it's like, let's put it this way. There's not a clean answer. Like it, it is, or it isn't like, yes, investors are influencing the housing market. Um, hundred percent. Yes. Of course they're pushing prices up. I don't think that, investors are the sole reason that the housing market is unaffordable. Like, I mean, look at rents, rents are still rising. I think you do have a structural undersupply of housing in this country. When again, when you add a million people a year, it's pretty hard to build to that capacity. You don't have the trades, you don't, have the, you don't, you don't have the labor, you don't have the ability to, to supply that market. So I do think yes, investors, now you're seeing like, you know, Trudeau out this week saying, Oh yeah, you know, the investors are to blame now. It's like, Nobody's looking inwards. Everyone's just looking for the scapegoat. It's like, well, what about you? Like, what about your reckless policy? What about the Bank of Canada's reckless policy of zero interest rates for 10 plus years? Like nobody's, everyone's just looking for the scapegoat. Right now we just like banned Airbnb. And now we're going after the investors. We used to go after the foreign buyers. Nobody's like, nobody's taking any accountability. I mean, one third of the liberal cabinet owns investment properties. <laughs> Hello? <laughs> Um, wait, wait, I have a question though, because so, I, sorry, one last thing I promise, but the, the, so the Airbnb stuff I get, you know, if you have, it's like just an underutilized asset, right? If you own an Airbnb and you rent it out, you might, it might be empty, let's say 20 days out of the year, but you make enough money in the 10 days to pay the mortgage, pay whatever the condo fees, et cetera. I get all that. But if you're an investor and you own a multifamily unit, unit, um, let's say if 20 apartments or five apartments or a hundred or whatever, it's, you want to do everything in your power to increase the occupancy rate of that property so i don't get how investors being in the market should make or it should increase or decrease supply of literal units so i never does that i don't I know i think people something? just get confused like people are just like an investor bad like well investors don't buy the house and leave it empty is my point that's dumb they they want people in there true i mean the <laughs> Like people are like, so there's a bunch of stats going around right now from stats canceling. I think it was like something like 
over 50% of newer condos in Toronto are owned by investors. I don't know the exact stat. It's a really high number. People are like, whoa, that's like, that's crazy. And like, yeah, it is. But like, if you think about how, how does new supply in Canada get to market, the model is pre-sell, which is highly speculative. And you're paying like 20% above spot resale prices, right? So you're buying a futures contract, yep. which is marked up above the resale price today um, because it's not going to be completed for four years. So it's a speculative asset. And who's the buyer for that speculative asset? It is investors. And so investors are the ones responsible for bringing new supply to the market. Like that's how, and again, you can say, well, we should have a better system. Maybe we should, but like good luck changing that. But it doesn't address the excess demand. Anyway, we're maybe we're going on too long on this. Yeah. But- anyways, I think we think yeah, we think we're going on a on a tangent here. But anyways, long story short, housing market sucking wind. <laughs> uh, GDP is now we're in official recession. When you adjust for uh, population growth, real GDP per capita is obviously horrendous. And uh, I, I think the outlook, you know, Keith for for Q four doesn't look any better. I think. Um... You know, I think we just need to remind everyone the, uh, I, I guess the, uh, the the springboard that created this mess over the last few years, again, was the policy response to the pandemic. You know, the, a lot of money got gushed into the system at both the fiscal level and central bank level. The Canadians did it, the Americans did it, the Japanese, the Australians, French, British, Germans, <laughs> Swedes, you name it. Everyone did it. I mean, so like it's are trying to find it, you know, like like you said, like, hey, who who's responsible for this happening? Like, like you said, Steve, you just gotta look in the mirror. They are responsible for it. And and then I mentioned earlier about maybe five minutes ago, when all that money goes into the system, you know, it pushes all these financial assets up higher as well. So you get like the house prices or hard assets, people might call that real assets are going higher, financial markets are going higher. And then that stimulus holds, uh, the flow starts to slow dramatically. And then everything is sort of financial markets are coming down. You know, like, again, you've got the peak in Canadian bank stocks. It's, you know, some other down, what are they down, Rich? Maybe 20, 35% for some of them. We won't name specific names, of course, but. Well, Zed, um, you know, like the, there's a, there's an ETF that's like an equally weighted ETF, um, and that's down twenty five percent. Yeah, from its so. peak. Yeah, and if you look at the bond funds, uh, any of the big I mean, bond funds, <laughs> they're down. 50, they're down. Right? <laughs> yeah, you know, depending on what you're looking at there. So, so, and then the house prices are down, and you know, the economy is is getting tighter and and tighter. And we talk about you know global risk is synchronized. This is it. And, you know, I hate to be the bearer of good news or bad news, depending on which side you're on this. Again, I know we always share with people, you know, as investment managers, we can be pretty insensitive. And what we mean by that, you know, not calling, you know, Steve a jerk or anything. That's just (laughs) factual sometimes. Right, Steve? Ouch. uh, Yeah, ouch. Uh, I didn't pick on Rich that time. I get a suggestion, you know. I I like this. I like this. People start doing that for now on. But, you know, from a money management perspective, um, if you're seeing this correctly, you can see that there are some, you know, some really great opportunities coming up here. 
Unfortunately, these opportunities are going to be created because the masses out there are going to get mullered with what potentially could happen next. It doesn't mean like people in the, you know, the Twitter world, they'll say, oh, well, you said this was going to happen or this was the top or the bottom and all that stuff. You know, no, no, professionals don't work that way. It's a probability game. If the probability of a risk event has increased, you have to be prepared for it. And that risk event that we've been talking about is that we start to see a, a you know a slowdown in the economy, which then really accelerates in, into something bad. So that slowdown has now started. That's been confirmed. And if this does accelerate to the downside, uh, it, it's going to affect housing markets. You know, people that have been dependent on you know certain parts of the equity markets to pay them things like that. Again, this is what policymakers put in motion and it's unfortunate they have to let it play out right that's the way it it works so it's Just, you know we're not i'm not the bearer of you know awesome news for a lot of people here right now however if you are following the podcast this is this is consistent i think we are being consistent i think so too and yeah so maybe this does stabilize and things are fine but again like it, it is set up here right now for um you know some further downside risk with with the economy and everything else yeah just to chime in there because people are like you know everyone's always pontificating about housing and the outlook and what's going to happen and you know we're still sitting at six percent mortgage rates of course um but you know the one way to get mortgage rates down which i think is needed to to relieve a lot of the stress on homeowners and and again levered developers the, really, the, one of the only ways to get rates down, of course, is to have you know weaker economic growth, less demand in the in the economy, and ultimately a, a deeper recession. Which, you know, deep recessions aren't really bullish for housing either. So it's it is a bit of a catch twenty two situation, uh, and so it's a really tough spot. Obviously, uh, as a, as let's say a policymaker like Tiff Macklem, that's going to have to sort of juggle this. And thing, I know, you know, but one thing a, a recession does, remember if, if you're a capitalist, which I am, and you know, most people are, if you live in, in this part of the world, uh, that's why we have business cycles, mm-hmm. a, a normal business cycle. It will, once it reaches its peak, it will roll over and then it, it flushes out, you know, bad investments that have taken place. So in the housing world, that's people stacking up, you know, to build an Airbnb army of, of rooms or doors. You guys call totally. it doors sometimes, don't you see? Don't you call it? What? Uh, well, like how many doors do you have? That's like yeah, kind of like doors, the US yeah. thing. Is that yeah. do people actually say that? Is that like is that real estate? Kind of a US thing where it's like these guys that'll brag about like I got like I got 73 doors. And it's like, okay, well, you own like you know, eight percent of those seventy-three doors, but that whatever. sounds like the the stripper from The Big Short. <laughs> now, yeah, now the stripper is about how many Airbnb arbitrage you have. Yeah, that's right. That was a great like, movie. Was yeah. that the restaurant you went to the other night? The Big Short. Was that no? What? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, was, but I mean, yeah, that I wasn't think... very funny. You know what's no. happening now with the recession? <laughs> My jokes are getting really bad. <laughs> no. We're in for a downturn, guys. See, we need that to was turn a good joke. That was a good joke. Keith, that is a good is a good point though. Like I can tell you, like just being like obviously deep in the weeds of the the Vancouver market, just seeing a like a lot of the malinvestment in real estate, just like some of the really, really dumb purchases. Not only like some households have made, some, um, but like a lot of these developers just like speculating on land. 
and just paying outrageous dollars and nothing pencils, but they're going to hope the market rise. Like, it's just like, wow, those like these people, like they do need to get flushed out. Um, and, and it does need to be like a humbling lesson. So I, I certainly agree. And, and, uh, you know, I think that's, that's a valid point, but speaking of consistent, we've also been pretty consistent, rich on our discussions around, first of all, GDP and, and our views that that was going to soften. Uh, but we've also been pretty consistent around the immigration file. And so I don't know if the liberal government's been been tuning into the loony hour, but there's they been definitely do <laughs> pretty big uh, announcements here in, in the last couple of days. Yeah, well, I think they, I think it's I mean, we'll see how this exactly plays out. The announcement basically is to a I think there's it's two parts. One is to concede that that is an issue and that you in some ways you have to kind of so what it is is that they're basically going to cut the immigration levels or it's to say keep them at current levels and not increase them i think until 2026 is that right steve i can't remember the exact yeah so now. they're they're permanent residency targets um so they're keeping those the same uh which is i think 500,000 people by 2025 that's just for permanent residencies and they're saying well we're going to we're going to start raising the target in 2026. So after you reelect us in 2025, we will promise to <laughs> hold the target uh, in 2026. So I mean, there's two parts there. One is that they're, I think, rightly, as the leaders of a democratic nation, reacting to what people are expressing, which is, um, you the know, polls. The polls, which they're not, they're not happy with what's going on, and it's not so much the immigration specifically; it's that it's having no housing plan and the knock-on effects that that necessarily has. I think that it's very important to make those clear. Um, but the thing is, you know, I, I, you know, I'm, I reserve my judgment. I, I, I don't believe them, uh, frankly, and I know it's kind of unfair because, like I said, they are reacting to the polls and to what we've identified as as an issue when it comes to a lot of the problems Canada has. But, you know, there are some wrinkles in there, which is the temporary workers thing, which, you know, I think Ben Rabideau, um, he explained quite clearly, which is, you know, the that you, you can you they don't necessarily count, I think, in the same way. But then once you're here, then it's quite easy to turn that into a PR and then or a job on the Canadian citizenship. And, um, you know, it's yeah, it's not clear that that the international students piece um, has been a dealt with. And so. We'll we'll see. I think it's important to just you know reserve judgment, and we'll see what the numbers give us. So here's a quote from uh, Mark Miller, the immigration minister. He says, "What Canadians are telling us, what economists are telling us, is that we have to dive into the microeconomic impacts of immigration." Uh, of course, uh, we've been talking about this in the Lunar since we started. What almost two years ago now? Yep. Over two years. Um, yeah. Which is uh, you know we we definitely need immigration, but 1.1 million people a year or whatever that exact number is, is, is clearly too many when you're exacerbating, um, you know, a housing crisis and, and, and the, the ability to get medical treatment um, in particular. So the infrastructure just isn't there. So, but the big story here is like, when we talk about 500,000 uh, permanent residents, again, the bigger issue for Canada is the, Again, how did we get to a million people? Well, it's because there's no cap on international students. Right. And so they they came out this week and said, okay, we're going to make, you know, we're going to make it the, the rules for universities basically pulling in 
some of these students, we're going to make those a little bit more stringent, but we're not going to put a cap on the number of international students that come into the country. So there's still no cap on that. Um, so again, I think a lot of this is ultimately window dressing. It's kind of more or less pretending to do something, but not really doing anything about it. Hey guys, sorry to interrupt the show. I just want to remind you the Lumi Hour is going to be live in Toronto on Thursday, November 30th, starting at 6 p.m. The doors are going to open. It's going to be a live podcast, drinks, appetizers, laughs, good times. It's going to be so much fun. If you've ever been to any of our live events, I'm sure a lot of you can attest to that, but to go check out our past live events on our YouTube channel there, you can check it out. Come meet hundreds of other Lumi Hour listeners. Come support the show. We'd love to see you there. There's going to be a link in the show notes below, whether you're watching this on YouTube or listening to it on Spotify or Apple, there's going to be a link in the description, which will take you directly to the Eventbrite page where you can purchase a ticket. Hope to see you there. The other thing I think we, we often forget it. We always think about it from a Canadian perspective and that's fine because we're Canadian, we live here, but I think it's important to consider this from the kid who's coming here perspective where he's sold, you know, a rotten bill of goods. You know, they, let's just say, for example, I mean, I've seen stuff on TikTok, you know, people whose very families scrimp and scrape saved all their cash to access cash to send their kid, you know, the great hope to go to this wonderful country with lots of opportunities. They sign up for an, um, as a student for international school. I won't even call it a university because some of these are just totally bogus. Um, they pay all kinds of money and they're promised, you know, everything. Um, and the truth is, is that they don't have a good place to live. They can't get, find a decent job. And the school basically runs off with, you know, money of this person who doesn't, did not grow up in Canada, did not have a GDP per capita of, you know, 40 or $50,000 or whatever it is. Maybe it might be a 10th of that. And so I think that that's the other side of this. We often forget there's like a human element to this big lie or maybe it lies too strong but you know what i mean steve like there's an there's another side of this that we sort of never really talk about but yeah anyway. someone's got to pay into cpp so, I mean, i'm getting soft in my old age i guess <laughs> got to pay into that cpp with alberta leaving yeah that's right that's the uh you know like if, you know this past week we'll get into as well what happened here in atlantic canada so my oh yeah <laughs> my wallet just got a bit thicker again you know yeah you're living you're gonna be living the good life this winter yeah, buddy fireplace is gonna I'm be on i'm surprised you're wearing a sweater yeah you need <laughs> we, to take that thing off we had our first snow on november yesterday november 1st wow snow steve it? snow came down early yeah all day yeah it's, it's still here uh but with the, you know it you know we always talk about everything moves in extremes think of a pendulum going back and forth and I believe we've reached the extreme side to the left, okay, not the right, to the left with a lot of these issues. And now they are starting to break at the seams. So, uh, you know, we were just talking about, oh, uh, you know, Canadians are telling us that they want this or they want that. Uh, no, that's not true at all. Like, like you say, they're <laughs> reading the polls and, you know, the two uh, parties that are controlling Ottawa right now, like they're getting mullered. They are losing it to the left and the right and up and down right across the country. So that's why all of a sudden they, they're, they're responding to the housing crisis with, and they don't have a solution for it, of course. I mean, they're just trying to, they're now saying what they know, what they're being criticized for. So they're trying to take the, the, the other side. Acknowledging of what the, the complaints are anyways. 
Yeah, and they're making it appear that, hey, we just discovered this, we're going to fix it, you know, <laughs> as opposed to what you know you pointed out earlier, Steve, to say, you know what, we actually created this mess in, in the first place. So I think, you know, think now, right now, we're at the another e extreme point, we'll, we'll talk about the, you know, again, like I think I shared with you, I received a, a, a my writing, it's uh, the, the liberals, uh, they represent the writing that I'm in on, on a federal basis or perspective i guess and i got a nice questionnaire from them the other day to I had to rank the number like all the things that were important to canadians and me and you know climate change is number one you know climate change um Sorry, gender what? ideology sexuality all these things are like these are the most important things to canadians and i'm reading this i'm thinking i don't think these are the most important things to many canadians oh uh, okay you know? Yeah, like we we want to work, you know, we want a happy life, we want strong school systems and, and healthcare and otherwise, like leave us leave us alone. Um, so it, it's just ironic. Now we're this sort of leads into and you're much better at describing what happened, Rich, from a, a tax perspective, maybe. But uh like, like you know, linking into the political side where the liberals and NDPs are now, you know, they're losing a lot in polling. It doesn't mean that's what happens when they have an election. But uh, here in Atlantic Canada, they did a, a panic pause, right? So <laughs> Ottawa, we had the Bank of Canada doing a panic pause. Uh, the Federal Reserve, it seems like they may have done a panic pause yesterday. Contagious. I think the Brits did one. Yeah, everyone's doing a panic pause now. Now it's happening on the political side. So uh, I'm teeing you up, Rich. What what was announced this week? Or maybe Steve knows it better because Rich... Well, you Steve can tell us the announcement. I know the details oh, on the energy okay. market there. Go for yeah, it, Yeah, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll, I'll walk through the, the high-level notes here. Wait, so. we need a drum, a drum roll. You ready? Oh. Can you hear that? Oh, no one can hear happened? that, dude. Yeah, no put in a like, drum roll there. It's better than the, the... My thumb snap is working better now. Uh, um, anyways. What was the big announcement, Steve? What did one part of the country say, oh, wow, it's awesome, and the rest of the country said, huh? Yeah, yeah. So basically, um, for those that have been paying attention to it, uh, the liberal government, the federal liberal government, of course, was, was was planning to increase the carbon tax on basically, you know, home heating fuels. Um, so, of course, uh, Atlantic Canada, which predominantly uses uh, oil for their home heating, um, was going to see a drastic increase in their home heating energy bills, um, which, you know, at a time when the cost of living is, I think, front and center in almost every Canadian's life right now, there was naturally a lot of outrage and 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 angst uh, around it. And so uh, ultimately, the Liberal government folded like a cheap tent uh, to the political winds, and, and they decided to put a three-year pause on the increase of the carbon tax to Atl only Atlantic Canadians, though. And so okay. all of a sudden, everyone's That's going, weird, well, Steve. Why would it just be for Atlantic yeah, Canada so and not the West? Why, why is that? Well, I mean, if you were listening to, I believe it was the economic minister, uh, she was on a CTV news interview, and she says, well, if you want to have your carbon tax paused for three years, maybe you should vote for more liberals uh, and and have your voice heard. So that's like literally what she said, like word for word. Um, you can go check out the CTV interview. It was so again. So people are seeing this 
and saying, hold on, just Atlantic Canada. And now your minister is coming out and saying, well, you should have voted that way and you would have also got an exemption um, is, of course, creating a lot of political friction across the country. And um, so everyone's saying, well, hold on a minute. I'm, I use natural gas to heat my home. It's actually a cleaner fuel. Well, yeah. Let me let me jump in there. Yeah. So, okay? Rich, Rich, you chime in because I want you to get to obviously Saskatchewan's comments as well. Well, yeah. So, I mean, so let's be clear here. So, like, um, it's a, there's you said fuel, but there's different types of fuel naturally. There's coal. So, sixty percent, just so people understand, sixty percent of Nova Scotia's energy comes from coal. So, rem- then next time you see someone driving a Tesla, just remind them of that. But the key thing here is natural gas as a percentage of residential heating in Canada is. 46%, but that's all basically in like four, prov- five provinces, so Ontario, uh, Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Alberta, and, and British Columbia. And the reason that's important is because out east, it's sort of the opposite. Natural gas is basically uh, zero, basically, or very, very low. So you have, um, sorry, I'm just looking at, yeah, so Nova Scotia is 4%, but basically PEI, Newfoundland, New Brunswick, they don't use any natural gas at all. What they use is fuel oil. So like a bit, it's obviously much, much thicker than kerosene, which would you use for jet planes or gasoline, which you use for a car, diesel, which you'd use for a truck. Um, So you go, as you go up sort of the curve, you get the, the viscosity changes naturally, and it's different, used for different applications. So in the East, they use fuel, like a fuel oil. And so in PEI, it's like 50%. Nova Scotia, it's 36%. These are 2019 numbers. You can find them on the Nova Scotia website. And so what they did basically was they put an exemption on the fuel oil, not natural gas. But the thing is about natural gas is that it actually has a much, much lower carbon footprint, has much, much lower emissions, which is the scandalous part about this whole thing. So it has nothing to do with um, environmental concerns and is purely kind of a very, very cynical um, ploy. Um, the other thing that people do a lot in... But Rex, just to chime in, which sorry. comes back to the you know the survey I was asked right. to complete oh, sorry, by my, right. my MP... He wanted to confirm that the most important point or factor for Canadians is climate change. So they're telling us the planet is on, it is just boiling over because of what's happening. That's why they're putting these taxes on everyone. Except now conveniently to get votes or to stop losing votes or to stop the flow, you know, they're going to reduce this or pause this, this carbon tax. And again, I think that's why people, you know, people will say, oh, you guys are getting way too political today. This is the country we're in. It's been, it's fractured because of the economics and the policy, with the policies that are being put in place that are having this this pretty significant economic impact on, on all of us. And it's now at the point where, you know, uh, you know, the, the, the real, there's really only one guy here in Canada that's the kingmaker that controls everything. That's the leader of the NDP. And so, Mr. Singh, if you or your your team are listening, we'd love to have you on. Come on and have a conversation and let us know why, you know, you're you're keeping this together because yeah. it's it, it's it's not looking very good right now. What's remarkable is also just the, the number of people. So I'm not saying that you should shouldn't exempt um, people who can't afford a particular tax. I don't think that anyone's suggesting that. And let's be clear here. Those Atlantic provinces are the poorest section of uh, Canada. Maybe not Keith's house, but most of Atlantic provinces have the lowest GDP per capita. I would argue they probably have the lowest contri- probably educational attainment, highest poverty rates. Who knows about the crime? 
but you know that those are important and oil as a share of total canada's energy heating is about four or five percent so it's quite low but the rank like political element to what is a tantamount economic policy to me is is should be exposed and the key thing for people who really genuinely care about climate change and reducing our emissions right or wrong i'm just saying if that's what you care about natural gas is absolutely part of the solution keith that's why i brought that up and i think it's sort of an important wrinkle but anyway well to, just... to, to, well, to expand on that point right so now because you've got these uh the politics involved um you've you've they've kind of lost the argument and the debate um so just to give me an example like i've been following you know all these accounts that are like very in support of the carbon tax and you know a lot of them are from academia and and just reading like even their reaction to what what is just announced because like if you think about the the argument from the liberal side it's always been well we put we're putting more in your pockets we're taxing you but like you're you're getting it back and and so the argument is that you're actually making more money and i'm not saying i'm just saying this is like the argument well they're they're saying well hold on a minute aren't you you're just debunking if it, Atlantic Canadians would be getting more money in their pockets, would they not? So why are we? Why are you pausing the tax? So he, he's kind of lost like that, the narrative to sort of the mainstream voter, right? And then you've yeah. got these political, uh, you know, people from other provinces, right? So of course uh, Saskatchewan came out. The premier of Saskatchewan, uh, he said, "Well, hold on a minute, you know, we're we're oh, Saskatchewan. Yeah, we are incredibly cold." Uh, and we're also dealing with cost of living issues. Why are we not exempt? And we're using predominantly natural gas, which is technically, again, cleaner burning fuel. Um, and so they've come out and said, as of January 1st, if the government does not exempt Saskatchewan as well, we as a province, because the it's owned by Sask Energy, which is uh, the energy, basically, the natural gas is, is owned by um, the public sector. Is it a crown corporation? It's a crown corporation. So he's saying we are going to we are going to direct Sask Energy to not collect the carbon tax um, off of our homeowners, and we're not going to remit those taxes to the government. And you can come after us and sue us or do whatever you need to do, but we are not going to collect the tax, and we're not going to remit it if you don't exempt Saskatchewan. Um, and so now people are probably wondering, well, why don't maybe other provinces like let's say Alberta also follow in Saskatchewan's shoes. Um, the reason for that is, is that the, uh, the energy or utility companies, whatever you want to call them uh, in Alberta, for example, are privately owned. Um, so they, they can't necessarily like break the law and not have repercussions. Um, so Saskatchewan is more or less on its own, but you can kind of see where this is going. All these other provinces are, are relatively upset that they're not being exempted. And just to give what people about the again, inclusiveness so... that was supposed to be created, the foster a culture of, of loving, and it seems oh, like boy. it's going in the wrong direction here, guys. That's what I oh. see. Just so people, sorry, just one last thing. Just so people know it's like in Saskatchewan, um, natural gas as a share of residential heating is 81% as, as of 2019. I imagine it hasn't changed much in four years. So if I'm wrong, I'm sorry. And then uh, the natural gas, the oil share is zero. And in Nova Scotia, for example, it would be sort of the opposite. So you have natural gas is 4% and heating oil is 40 and et cetera. Anyway. Well, so they're telling everyone they're going to give them free heat pumps now. So but plus, just there's one more thing. Sorry. The whole idea is to disincentivize people from using fossil fuels. If that is your 
stated aim. So it doesn't make sense that people would get cash back <laughs> from a tax, right? You're, the whole point is to make it more expensive, to disincentivize people from using a particular product. This is how ta all, ta all kinds of taxes work. Forget carbon tax, uh, sin tax on alcohol or cigarettes or whatever it is. And so it, on the face of it, it's, it's very difficult to understand that as your motivation, but maybe we should carry on somewhere. Yeah, I think anyways, we'll, we'll, we'll carry on, but I think ultimately this has been like a very large political blunder um, that could have been handled obviously a lot better. And I, I think ultimately uh, it is what it is, but uh, Rich, I, I think this kind of leads to the next conversation though, which is, I think we're seeing, you know, as the economy starts to falter, cost of borrowing becomes more expensive. We're seeing some of the malinvestment come to the surface. Uh, and I think a lot of that, again, I think is for the right reasons, but, you know, you're seeing a lot of issues with, with some of the ESG stuff as well. Um, you know, these, these wind turbine companies um, on, on, on the brink of, of, of bankruptcy, really actually seeking uh, bailouts. I think it was a Germany's uh, windmill company there. They were asking the, the German government for billions and billions of dollars. Otherwise they were going to uh, cease to exist. Yeah, well, it's it's a mission. A lot, a lot of the what is it? Warren Buffett's quote, Keith. You'll know this. Like when the tide goes out, you know who's swimming naked. I think. Yeah, you got um, it. Close enough. Yeah, close enough. Right, but I think the the issue here with a lot of these companies is that their revenues are fixed, and in some cases that can be great. Right. So if you're an energy company, you have a tariff, and you fix the tariff for five years, whatever number kilowatt hour. And their funding costs at the time were very low because interest rates were low, et cetera. And so the business model was like pretty good. Like you have, you understand what your revenues are going to be. You're basically guaranteed this revenue, um, let's say inflation adjusted, whatever it is for five years, but your, and your, your funding costs are very, very low. Now we're in a situation where those revenues are fixed, but your funding costs just went through the roof. And it basically, you're starting to see sort of more and more projects um, whether it's because of a financing wall or just you know because they're tied to the short end of the, that funding curve, um, become just not viable at all. But we have to be careful about some specific manufacturers of wind farms and then the energy providers. So that that's like maybe a conversation for a different day. But the, the, the sort of project we're seeing, the ones that are failing, are the ones with like a fixed revenue base and the costs that are basically ripping because of higher um, funding costs, but it's also more expensive to transport the wind, to build the, the wind farms and et cetera, et cetera. So that, that's, and I think we'll see a lot more of it. Um, the company in Denmark that we were talking about, I can't remember how to say it, Ofsted, um, maybe I'm screwing up the name, but they're actually a relatively profitable company with a solid balance sheet, but the loads of the projects that they've invested, they're just going to walk away from because they're not viable. Um, yeah. So and that sort of complements, I mean, the, the French reaction to all of this uh, in, in France, like they're, they've quietly increased their focus on nuclear. Yeah, again. of course. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you know, it's, it's easy to, uh, you know, I'm very critical of the Eurozone for a, a number of different reasons, but for France to become even more uh, invested and interested in nuclear power, that is the correct move for them. And I haven't heard, are, are the Germans now going to start trying to go in that direction? Or what, what are they going to do? Because they are they have some challenges coming up. Well, the, German, the Germans, is it last year or this year? I'm, man, I'm getting, I must be getting old. But anyway, they shut down six perfectly good 
um, nuclear power plants. And for that, they should be shamed um, publicly, flogged even. But um, and they've been basically consuming a lot more coal and they've been buying power from guess who, Keith? Uh, I don't know. What's the answer? From France. Yeah. They're buying oh, from France. All... Okay. <laughs> that <laughs> was obviously... my initial response. No, that's way too easy. I don't know. Like Rich is setting me up here for something. Yeah. But anyways, um, yeah. So yeah, it's just it's just. But their energy hard. grids have to be connected. They are. They are. They are. They're totally connected. They're totally connected. Yeah, absolutely. But they're and talking like Belgium, Netherlands, and all that stuff. But those con- those countries use a lot of natural gas. Like Belgium relies on natural gas and so nuclear. So what percentage of France's uh, electricity output comes from nuclear? 73, 5%, depending on the year, depending on the time. It's very, very yeah. high. And, and it I assume it's the 70s. always constant, correct? Yeah, I assume the flow yeah. is, is pretty steady. And, <laughs> okay, and what is the rest? I assume nat gas maybe coal? yeah there's a lot of natural gas I, to be honest with you I, I never even look because to me france is just nuclear that's the most important it's been there since the yeah. the oil embargo um in 1973 because france has no coal france has no coal no gas to speak of and no crude so oil. if they're at 75 ish for example what would the where are we in canada because i assume it's ontario like we're probably, high we're right? high we're in the 20s i can't remember if you give me a minute i can look it up so 20 percent of the canadian grid comes from nuclear it's very high yes that's something like predominantly in ontario correct it's yeah um yeah so i mean but that doesn't go to quebec or no so in the the east it's coal it's all fossil fuels not all excuse me we're not really newfoundland is almost all hydro newfoundland is sorry yeah imagine quebec has a ton of hydro as well to quebec it's mostly hydro it's like each section of the country has its own thing so let's just say for argument's sake in the east it's fossil fuels mostly in quebec it's mostly hydro in ontario it's hydro and nuclear power in uh in the in the middle of middle west it's let's just say for argument's sake it's fossil fuels and then and in the far west it's um hydro and and fossil fuels so there is a solution of course as we've talked about before but so maybe you remember that pendulum that we were you know, discussing here. Maybe that is going to start to swing, you know, back again the the other way, and so that that is a positive thing to look forward to. We do have a Post- nuclear expert coming on the show, uh, Rich, in what a couple of weeks? Yeah, on the twenty third, we'll have uh, Doctor Chris Kiefer, who's not a nuclear expert. He's I would say more of an advocate who's extremely extremely well informed about not only nuclear power but also the political sort of bullshit that you have to sort of go through and wade through to in order to build, repair, refurbish, and expand our neutral nuclear grid. And just so people understand, I made a mistake, and I'm sorry. Sorry. Nuclear share as a percentage of energy um, is 5.6%, so much lower than I thought. I'm sorry. I screwed that up. Ooh. <laughs> and then and then and then uh, hydro if you give me a second i can find that hydro shares for canada is um is 26 percent, which is actually much higher than i thought it was Ooh. and remember kids remember kids hydro <laughs> hydro and nuclear are clean energy <laughs> just so people remember but this gentleman he uh who's gonna come on and, and chat with us uh he, he said he's he may not call himself an expert relative to me he's an expert oh he, yeah, this yeah, is yeah. Be no, no great it's, conversation this would be a that, lot of i didn't mean to we'll like learn a lot down. from it 
the guy's very very switched on he's and he he's i think he's doing god's work i mean he's really what? advocating for this as like a, a major sort of where we should go in canada sorry steve go ahead sorry well yeah well i mean we'll expand on his his bio and whatnot but i believe he's been testifying in in the house of commons here in canada and whatnot on on on, on nuclear and whatnot so uh, I, again, maybe not an accredited expert, but it's called what it is. He's, he's an expert. He's, he's, he's a smart guy in that space. So we'll be having him on in the next couple of weeks, but, um, kind I can't of wait. It'll be great. And by the way, if people want to submit questions, I think that this is an opportunity to do so. Um, because I think it's just so misunderstood. Sorry, Steve. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's just going to switch gears here as well. You know, want to get in, in the back half of the show, but, uh, on on really what's happening now, Keith, in, in financial markets. So we know the the political hot mess, uh, which is Canada right now. We know what's what's happening. We've discussed that. But in terms of the financial market aspect of things, you know, last week we had the Bank of Canada panic pause, uh, the ECB panic pause. We've now had the the Fed, the Fed and the Bank of England this week. Also, seemingly out with uh, panic pause, I, I, Keith. I know, I'm sure you followed it along closer than I did, but it seemed like a dovish hold uh, from Jay Powell at the Fed. Yeah, he was sort of in line with with everyone else. That's what it seemed like. You know, with you know, if you're a central bank groupie, you always hear what you want to hear. <laughs> and then <laughs> that's the way am it I, is right are, am i a central bank groupie i guess so <laughs> oh i am i totally am i uh yeah, i'm groovy but the uh you tend to hear what you want to hear and so you know two people listening to powell yesterday you both walk away with a different message or you know summary and then you see which way you know markets have reacted and you know I, i'm not a believer that markets are efficient that doesn't happen uh, so, but the overriding message yesterday, you know, when you read the media today, was that, you know, they're, the Fed is indicating that they're probably not going to hike anymore. You know, they, they could be finished. And that's what markets were pricing in before the meeting as well. So to have him, you know, suggest that, remember, it wasn't, ex it wasn't explicit. It, it was implied several times. Uh, and... Plus, when you overlay on that, you know, see, we had like, it hasn't been a great two months for financial markets. You know, people have been selling almost everything. So all of a sudden, you know, you get into this mood, hey, uh, it, it's a good, it's a good bounce here right now. So money came back in. Uh, one thing, but to be objective with it, what the Fed did say, you know, I remember one of the questions, uh, by the way, the worst, to be in the press room for the Fed. It, it's a pretty important deal to get. No one can just arrive. Like, I don't think the loony hour can get in if we asked. Maybe if we dressed up nicely, Rich, no? Maybe Do you think not. we can make the BOC, genuine question here. Do you think we could make the BOC uh, media presser? Anyway, sorry, keep going, keep going. Here comes the loony hour. Not after our call. <laughs> yeah, question from... Question number 88 this afternoon. <laughs> no one is listening anymore. Question, from the, uh, fr question from the boomer of uh, Lunar Media Inc. <laughs> the uh, the New York Times, I think they had the third or fourth question yesterday. And the reporter from the New York Times effectively asked, do you plan to raise rates during the December meeting? And I heard I, I burst out laughing. I'm like, come on, you didn't really ask that. You get the fourth question of the presser, and that's what you come up with. You're asking the chairman of the Fed, 
what if what he's going to do for the next meeting a month out. And he's if he was drinking milk, it would have been that a gif or jif. I never know what you guys call it these days. Yeah, it's a gif. It's a gif. This was a gift yesterday. Anyway, you know the one. You know the one. The lady, she's drinking milk and she bursts. She laughs and it goes everywhere. That's what Powell would have done. And you know, he effectively said, "You know, we haven't had the meeting yet. We don't know what we're going to do. You know, during that time." Anyway, but the other like part. This, one of, I like this guy. <laughs> another great question. Um, it's a guy. Uh, I think it's Leesman, Steve Leesman. I think his name is. I think he's with CNBC. I think he is. Um, he's trying to get the, you know, is 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 the Fed leaning more towards hiking or cutting rates? You know, he boxed him in, and I, I didn't like the question because, you know, you're trying to be one of those. I uh, want to create one of those gotcha moments, you know, for the, and that's not fair as well, you know, to the. What was his response? Well, you know, he's gone back, and then he made it very clear. He said we had no discussions about cutting rates. Our discussion is whether to hold or to raise rates. That's where we are in, in the cycle. And that's what I took away. I said, oh, wow, when that happened, I said, hey, like that, that's a pretty strong statement. Um, so I guess the overriding statement, though, what was heard, you know, everyone is saying, hey, we're probably more on, on the, as Steve coined it, I think, the, the panic pause, maybe. But just to, uh, as well, even though a lot of the American data is getting a bit softer out there, uh, there's still a lot of reasons to to have that the Fed they could do another hike here coming up, but again you have to wait for things to sort of you know flush through the system here till we have an impact. But that was the big you know event yesterday. So we've had two days now where it's like party like it's ninety nine again, and uh, so people, you know, we it's our view that this is one of these you know little euphoria bounces and uh maybe by tomorrow because this is thursday so friday for everyone here now you know maybe we got to get back to this thinking or belief that okay if rates are not rising anymore the next thing that you know the world has to deal with uh is two things and, and they're both one sort of leads into the other one is uh rolling over debt so reinvesting debt that has to be that's maturing you need to roll it over at a much higher rate, of course, which everyone's familiar with. And then also the prospect that it, it's not a soft landing. So if, if we do go into a, a recession of some kind here, then that is going to create, that will overwhelm the system as opposed to the conversation about, you know, what is the Fed going to do? How about you, Rich? Did, did you listen to the, the presser or read the uh, notes? I I read the notes. I didn't listen to the presser, sadly. Um, I would have called it like a hawkish hold, which is sort of um. I think it's it's funny to contrast the BOC uh, that held and was hawkish, but that's just fluff, versus um what they did um in the Bank of England also held rates, and again they were sort of again hawkish hold, but again it's can I think, you say that fluff. with a British accent? <laughs> Hawkish. Hope. I love it. We, there you go. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. That's good. Yeah. Um, and uh, <laughs> oh god, I lost my train of thought. Anyway, versus the the Fed, which I think is a hawkish hold in the sense that they, but they actually sort of mean it. And I think that that, um, so that that was where I where I sort of saw that sort. That's the sort of the difference I think for me. Um, however, but but as I say that, and I forgive me for talking sort of out of both sides of my mouth. 
Um, that being said, yesterday we got some really negative data from the ISM, right? My favorite, the diffusion index um, for manufacturing fell more than expected. Did you talk about the diffusion index <laughs> at the uh, on my on date? date? Yeah, I didn't. I probably should have. I I promise that if it works out next time, I will. He <laughs> saves that for the third date. That's right. <laughs> That's my closing move. Um, no, we did. I did not talk about the diffusion index, but I think that that's, you know, there are some, there's just more of these, these data points. You're going to close with the diffusion index conversation? (laughs) You don't think that'll work? You you don't think that'll work? If it does, it's brilliant because it it wouldn't be expected. It'd be one of those, wow, I didn't see that coming. Because most other moves, so you can see them coming a mile away. Anyways, um, but yeah, so that, that was, um, I don't know. I'm totally lost out. Steve saved me. (laughs) Um, yeah, yeah, Frank there in compliance is not going to be happy. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, Keith, it seems like the, the, you know, the bond market's reacting. Um, you know, I'm, I, of course, I always follow the Canada five year bond that's down 40 basis points over the last couple of weeks. So it's been Are a serious, you know, yeah, it's a big move. Um, now sub four percent. I mean, we hit we touched 4.4 at one point there. Um, and so the market seems to be getting. You know, retracing a lot of the the move recently. You know, I, I, interesting enough, you had uh, Stan Drunkenmiller out uh, what a couple of days ago, torching Janet Yellen um, for not issuing enough debt uh, on the on the long end of the curve. Oh, really? We've talked about that. Yeah, yeah. So, well, I mean, he. Yeah. Well, we've so talked he about it, but we've talked about it for Canada. I know he doesn't. Yeah, he didn't, he didn't call out but... Christopher. He yeah, exactly. Yeah. He didn't call out Christopher Freeland for for doing the same thing. But basically, you know, Druck was like, "Listen, you had an opportunity uh, to lock in, you know, ten year, thirty year debt at uh, you know seventy five basis points, and and you and he issued it all on the short end, and, and obviously, you know, so you know, he he chirped that, and and he's got a huge bet now on the um, on the short end, Keith. Mm-hmm. On the two, I believe, sort of on, the, I believe with, on the two year. I believe on the two year coming down. Yeah, I think and there's it's a lot of interesting things happening in the within the plumbing of the U.S. system. So the plumbing of the U.S. system, it's deep, it's enormous, it's it's friggin' complicated. It's not like the Canadian system or well, Europe is <laughs> fantastical, I guess. You can call it that. Oh, God. Uh, but there are some signs now within the U.S. system that it, it is getting a, a, a bit a bit peculiar there. Um, so we'll have some I'll have some more details on that next for the next uh, podcast. When we go into it. And um, so, so, again, like looking where yields are, that's just the headline number underneath. There, there are some big movements taking place. So I was just introduced to some of that earlier this morning. And uh, we'll go a bit deeper into it as we move along. But the um, the other other interesting thing, you know, I'm I'm bearish on the emerging market world. You, you guys know that, and um, it's been pretty correct now for this cycle. But well, there was an interesting article out from Ken Rogoff. So Rogoff, I think is he from Harvard? Oh, he's it's Rogoff and Reinhardt. That those people? Yeah, that's his. his Reinhardt is his spouse. I think Rogoff this one, wrote the book. It's never different this time, I believe. That's what he's got. It's never different this time. Keep going, yeah. Keith. I'll look it up. Maybe he used the diffusion index as his pickup line. <laughs> well, his wife Carmen. is a, I think she's also an economist. Yeah, so Carmen Reinhardt. Yeah, Ken Rogoff. They usually write, but this one, he wrote it on his own. He wrote the, Rich, the entire article was just him. His spouse did not help him. 
She was loving the diffusion index. These are things you get to look forward to after you have Yale and MIT. He's and he works for Harvard. Yes. He went to Yale. Not not a not a not a dumb guy. Yeah. He uh he had a piece that came out uh I think it was this morning or yesterday. It it wasn't a, a deep conversation it wasn't an in-depth article put it that way however he was talking about the emerging market world and one of the comments he made was that one of the things they did uh when they issued a lot of debt back during the pandemic when rates were really low they did go long term so they they would have had short term as well you know under under term structure but they they put a lot out further on the curve compared to what the Canadians did and, you know, what, what, what Drupin Miller did just, uh, you know, critique Yellen for with the Americans and so forth. They didn't go as far out as the Austrians, of course, but they, they did, they did go out further. Um, so if people are watching this on the, on the YouTube now, like Rich is like head first trying to find the article. Steve doesn't give a shit. And <laughs> I'm just, just filling up the dead, the dead space. No, I was just, I wanted to make sure that because Carmen Reinhardt is not married to Kenneth Rogar, Rogoff. Sorry, they're not a, they're not a couple, just for the record. Not a couple? No. You don't think they've ever hooked up? Oh, I'm sure they hooked up. I'm just saying they're not, they're not like a couple, according to Wikipedia, and Wikipedia is never wrong. So that, that's the end of I that. I thought they were. I mean, that's interesting. That'd be a power couple. That would be a power couple. Well, Jenny should... Ellen's husband is like a super economist. He did the lemon, uh, lemon used car theory. I think he's won a Nobel Prize in economics for, or so. I'm less it interested, hasn't, hasn't I'm less hasn't interested in that relationship. <laughs> what kind of jokes would they play on each other, do you think? Um, would it be these tra- jokes that no one else would get? I have a joke. I'm going to date this guy. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm going out for dinner. It's transitory or something like that. I don't know. There's a joke in there somewhere. Okay. Well, you know what? I think this is a good place to wrap it up. I'm going to have to put an end to this. Um, but yeah, guys, seriously, um, the Toronto event, November 30th, we'd love to see you guys there. Um, tr- drinks included, uh, first drink, I should say, uh, appetizers, live podcasts, Q and a pictures, come ask questions, hang out. Musical, uh, it's, it's no, always a musical band, musical band. It's always a great vibe. It's always a great vibe. Um, we've got some, some truly awesome listeners here. So looking forward to meeting everybody in Toronto on November 30th. And as always, we'll see you next week.